You're going to love this. On Kibbe on Liberty, I got a chance to talk with Maget Wade. She is from Senegal, and she has some really strong opinions about why businesses can't get started in Africa. Part of it is socialism. Part of it, we're going to blame the French. This is kind of a, it's, it's an exciting moment for me. I've, uh, I've been watching you and your speeches. I think the first time was at, uh, in Austin, you were speaking at one of these, uh, uh, what is it called? Flow and Exit or Voice uh, and Exit? Voice and Exit. I totally screwed it up. Voice and Exit. <laughs> I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> and and you, had, you had the crowd doing the wave and it was just like, everyone's crying and cheering. Um, and and later on, I saw your your TED talk, mm-hmm. um, and 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 we'll talk about that a little bit maybe. Sure. But uh, uh, most people watching this have no idea who you are. So, Magat, who are you? Magat, who is she? Who am I? Um, sometimes I wonder. <laughs> just kidding. But uh, I guess let's just go to the most straightforward one. I'm this woman who was born in Senegal raised in Germany and France, and now I'm here in the, United, in the United States. I like to think that for the most part of my life, I've been busy just living my life, as most people. And then eventually, at some point, um, some hard realities started to really um, bother me. In this case, primarily, why is it that you know, um, my nation has to be such an economically poor nation when we have so much to offer, you know? So um, it's a question that I kept on trying to pursue and it basically led me to where I am even here today talking with you I think so on a nutshell just uh, a woman trying to live her life and uh, do the best she can um, but somehow I got uh, I got the bug of trying to see how I can be of greater contribution um, than just myself but you but you, but you spent some time in Silicon Valley as well yep. so you're you're not just a woman you're 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 a troublemaker <laughs> And you're a serial entrepreneur. You've mm-hmm. started a number of businesses, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, both in this country and and, and back in mm-hmm. Senegal, mm-hmm. and and maybe maybe that um, sense of like, I want to build something. I want to sell something. I want to employ people. Mm-hmm. Um, that that must have always been with you. Oh, I'm not sure. You know, if I think, I think what has always been with me has been this desire to, uh, I've always wanted to contribute. I think for me, it's always about wanting to contribute. And I've always been somebody who wanted to uh, make things happen. I was raised primarily by my grandma when I was a little girl, you know, before, well, my parents were in Europe and not knowing yet if they were going to stay or not. You know, as immigrants, it's really hard uh, when people think about the whole DACA movement. I, we were not one of those situations where, unfortunately, my parents had to come to go to Europe in, an, in um, uh, you know, like as, um, I wouldn't even like to call it illegal immigrants, but they came in under, my parents didn't have to go to Europe under horrible circumstances. We arrived through the legal routes and all of that. And. But still, you know, immigration is not a light thing to do for a family. And so my parents thought they would leave me behind for a while before, you know, and before me going back to them, they wanted to make sure they were going to stay where they were. And so um, well, while I stayed behind with my grandma, her whole thing with me was, 
I think she always wanted for me to remember this very simple notion, but it's really this notion of gumsabop, meaning believe in yourself. So it's, she's always wanted to make sure that um, I believed in myself because I think she has known early on that I would probably not stay with her, but I would go to these faraway lands um, where, you know, and I think she just wanted to make sure that whatever happens, I go back to my core cell of just, you're, you're, sometimes it's going to be just you, you're, you're it. You're it, yeah. as far as she's concerned. So, so because of that, I've, I think, obviously, I think if you think that way, entrep- following an entrepreneurial journey is very much the, the only journey you can survive. And, you know, sometimes I think I'm like, oh, gee, I wish, you know, I was uh, different or able to work for somebody else or do some things in a different way. But then I have to be really honest with myself. There's no way. Um, I could survive doing something else than what I do. When I see a problem, I have to do something about it. So I'm not sure that's what you're referring to. but, And so having been in Silicon Valley has, all I saw there is a bunch of people who were manifesting the very, the very simple notion of believing in yourself that I was taught. So it was just like, it manifested in some beautiful ways, very diverse ways. The whole thing was just very interesting. And um, it made me feel like there's something for what I felt inside. And um, being in Silicon Valley is around when um, things started, the dots started to connect in my head. Um, I don't know if you've seen that part uh, of my story, but by that time, by the time a big aha moment happened in my heart and in my mind, um, it was, I had... I had been having a very good life. I had built a very good life for myself in Silicon Valley at a very early age. Um, and then this one day I was driving down Big Sur on Highway 1, and I had a near-collapse moment when um, all of a sudden I no longer could reconcile the life of abundance that I was able to live and create for myself with the life of scarcity that I had left back home. And um, it was a big... Um, moment of an existential crisis. Yeah. And yeah. it started everything. Yeah. Really. Yeah. What year was that? We were talking now, it was in 2003, um, early 2003. And I was driving down and um, it just, it was so violent. The whole thing was so violent that it eventually just like physically it manifested and I jerked and as I jerked, um, I, I, if I didn't have this, I don't know how you call it again. English is only my fourth language. So sometimes you might have to help me with my words. But if I didn't have this thing between me, between my car and the road, I probably would have been down below in the ocean. And as soon as I could stop, I stopped and I got out. And um, I remember very well making my own pact with the universe. And I, the universe was this ocean right in front of me. And I said, you know, from now on, at that, right, at that moment, right then and there, I made um, the decision that from now on, everything that I will do and every breath I will take will be devoted to how is it that we bring prosperity back home. That so it. so you, you, you made that decision at that moment to, to, to go back home. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but let before we before we go back home, mm-hmm. let's let's give people a, a sense for um, what your what your home is like. What is Senegal? And I have to, I'll admit, and I think this is typically American. The only reason I know where Senegal is mm-hmm. 
is because one of my favorite John Coltrane albums is named Dakar. Dakar, yes. And so I had to look it up on the map, and I'm like, where is that? I have no idea. Mm. And and I think a lot of Americans are guilty for, mm. for not knowing mm-hmm. um, that there's there's incredible uh, geography, geography, what's what's geography diversity. Mm-hmm. I, see, I, I only have one language, by the way. My first and last <laughs> language is English, and I'm still failing. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Come but it, but it's it's an it's it's an insanely diverse uh, mm-hmm. continent with all sorts of uh, different things going on. Mm-hmm. But you know, why do do most people know Senegal from Kenya from South Africa? Right. Maybe not. No, no. So Senegal, Senegal is one of the fifty four countries in Africa. Uh, some people, depending on if you count, um, um, sometimes it could be counted as fifty five countries. But most of the time, we go for fifty four countries. Uh, so Senegal is one of those four, one of those fifty-four countries, and we are on the western, on the most western continental point of a continent. So, meaning, if you're standing in New York and you're looking across and you can see the other side, then my country is the first. Dakar is actually the first continental point of part of Africa that you see because we're literally right down the ocean yeah. at the tip. Yeah. So that's where Dakar is, and for those of so and beyond there, um, just think when Africa does this, you know, does this, we're right in the middle of that coming out. Yeah. So that's pretty much where we are. The far west. The far west. So we're not um, necessarily a tropical in the sense that some people think, oh, equatorial, you know, like that type of uh, very muggy. No, Senegal is actually, if you look at uh, the, all the climates of the world, they will put it in the same color as they put Honolulu. See, people mm-hmm. don't know that. Yeah. Uh, my country is um, seven and a half hours away from New York, direct flight. Uh, you fly, you take, you take off from New York at 10 p.m. Next day at 10 a.m. You're in my country, uh, having to deal with less jet lag than you have trying to go to Paris or you know. So it's very, very easy flight. Um, so we're, like, I, we're my, like we're like neighbors. You, we're like neighbors. We're yeah. like neighbors. My country has an amazingly long, you know, um, coastline. Beautiful mm-hmm. beaches. Beautiful beaches, with ocean with an ocean that has some of the biggest variety of fish that you can think of. It's pretty amazing. Go deep sea fishing. It's, it's pretty amazing. Um, some people, you can surf. Uh, you can swim. Also, beyond the, the, the natural beauty of it, you also have the beauty of the people. And I don't say that simply because of my people. These are amazing people. Why do I call them so amazing? Um, we share a lot of... Um, I think people everywhere are very resourceful. When, but when you have to deal with... Um, when it feels like everything seems like when it feels like everything is so much against you, people then build this type of resilience that I think you get to see. I think the other beauty is that I see back home, I get to see the type of resilience that I think everybody has, all humans have. But back home, we see it even more because we still have to struggle for it where, you know, when you hear life is a little bit easier. So yeah. you don't have to have that much resilience. We all have to be resilient. Don't get me wrong. You know, some of us have gotten ill. Some of us, are, resilience has to be everywhere. But back home, you just get to see it so much more often. And it just, um, it just gives you such a, you get to have more often than not an appreciation for human resilience, that beauty in human resilience, that beauty in, and also this ability, that, this thing that you see all around of people who are not just, who are not waiting on anything. Just, 
every day the task to be done is to survive and to make it and they do that and the other thing i love so much about us is um no complaint no complaint no complaint it's just yep this is what we have to do darn it um sometimes it's not very fair the cards we've been dealt with but you know what we're gonna do it and i see people looking happier then people on the other end that you may think have everything. And then it also makes you reconsider, what is it really to have it all? Yeah. So I do think, you know, we have... Um, so this is, this is all about my people and then the music. Dakar, and I, I hope you, you get to go someday. And it's not just about the drumming, but people think, oh, African music is drumming. Uh, no, there's some really interesting, sophisticated type of music uh, coming from, from obviously, from, from where we are. I don't know if you know if you Sundur. You know, mm-hmm. very uh, yes. and uh, yes, and so even in Black Panther, one of the typical one of the music that made them win also comes from my country, Baba Mal. So we have a really rich, um, rich uh, musical um, and cultural background, and on top of that, also add uh, the Sufism. Uh, us uh, Senegalese are Sufis. We're a Sufi nation, um, and the Sufis are the na- Sufism is the uh, mystical branch of Islam, and. Um, what we observe is that um, what the Sufis are known for is their attachment to love, peace, and tolerance. And so, um, so much that oftentimes some people feel like when you come to my country, you have a hard time believing that we're a Muslim country because we, in a way, st- kill all your stereotypes of what you think being Muslim is. And so that's... that's yeah, I, was, I was reading one of your blogs and what <clears throat> it's, it's 90 plus percent... Yes, Muslim, we're 95% right? Muslim and yeah. 5% Catholic. And in my country, you see um, cemeteries where Catholics are buried right next to Catholics. Uh, sorry, Muslims are being buried right next to um, Catholics, and they share the same cemeteries. Um, when we're building a mosque, our Catholic friends come to help. When our Catholic friends are building a mosque, the, mosque, <laughs> the Muslim friends go to help. In every single family, you have both collab- you know, being in the same family. The, the, the two um, religions are in almost every family. Um, distant, close, it doesn't matter. So is, is it your current president president that's that's Christian? You you said on your blog that, that you had elected a Christian president. Yeah, our first uh, our first president after the independence of Senegal okay. is Christian, and then after him, uh, that's another thing too. We've had alternates all the time. That's another thing where Senegal, it, along with Botswana, is one of the two countries in Africa that never had a coup and never had a civil war. So when I talk to you about that commitment we have to towards peace. Uh, love and tolerance it's real we yeah. it's really real so uh yeah no the first president was um um yes um, this christian president in a 95 percent muslim country and it's nobody has a problem with that we don't have a problem with that i don't have a problem with that and then later somebody else got elected and um he you know and then so on and so forth no problem that's not we don't we don't we don't judge based on those uh considerations so you've already blown some minds with this information. <laughs> and our women, and another thing is, you know, sometimes think, oh, African women, they must be so, you know, uh, people, you know, uh, they have no rights or anything like that. And they're men and they live in these very uh, macho countries. I'm telling you, Senegal, 
it's a matriarchal society. It doesn't look like that from the outside because you see the way our women ex exercise their power, we, we don't feel like we have to cut men's balls in order to tell who is the boss. We don't have to. As a matter of fact, let him be, <laughs> you know, let him be. And I, I appreciate that philosophy. <laughs> we don't have to. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really an issue that I have with yeah. so many women who think that in order to look strong, they have to try and diminish the man. No, we love men. I love men and I want men to be men. I want me to be me, whatever it means. And I just, for me, equality is not about you're going to go down while I go up. No, it's like be who you are. All I'm asking is you let me be who I am and, um, you know, those two, let them get together and create a better new whole. That's what I care about. So um, in my country, that's what I appreciate. I feel like on our own, we really don't have the type of relationship that I'm seeing in the West between the sexes, the battle of the sexes we're seeing in the West. Oftentimes, I don't find that healthy yeah. uh, in the way it's being fixed. It's been treated. So I feel like, actually, I would call a lot of you know, Western women to come to Senegal so that we can share a thing of, or two with them when it comes to, you know, uh, couples harmony and uh, yeah, yeah. happiness. The, I, I think we could use some help on understanding <laughs> the difference between real empowering feminism and, mm -hmm. and some of the things that, that we're doing in this country today. Very much. Um, but I'm going to get in trouble if I keep talking about feminism, so I'm not going to do that anymore. But so we now, we now know where you're going home to and we know that you decided that you wanted to go home to Senegal. So um, why did you go home? What did you do? Um, I've, I have to say, I've always been going back and forth home, but it was more like I go for, for the holidays or for vacation and I come back. So why did I go back home? I went back home though, because what I call, what I call going back home, what was the difference? between when I was, you know, heading back home back once in a while. The difference was, now I'm here trying to see what can I contribute? What's my role in all of this? Uh, first of all, what's going on? And second of all, what could be my role in all of this? That's really that simple. Again, remember, grandma said, there's a problem. <laughs> Solution starts with you. That's what my grandma always said. So yeah. I had to figure out. So if A, you have to try to understand the problem, and then you have to see what can be my part in it. It shouldn't be about what should be your part, your part, your part, because, you know, really, each, if each one of us is busy trying to figure out what can be my part in it, A, it's really um, exciting because you don't have to wait for anybody, and B, if everybody else does the same thing, the cumulative effort really works. So I had to go home and really try to figure out what was really going on, and I started looking uh, in places that I never thought about looking in before. I had to start thinking about stuff that I never thought about before. I had to start questioning things that I never you know, what I took for granted, I guess, before. And so what did it mean exactly? It meant, um, although I've had this long, I, I have had this question for a long time, which is, why is my country poor? Why is my country poor, economically speaking? Well, you know, all of these Western countries, like the ones I've gotten to at first, Germany, France, why are they wealthy? And, not, and my country is not wealthy. Uh, I didn't have that answer right away. But... What started to not make sense was, and things that I started thinking about that I never thought about before, I always took it for granted that, oh, of course, if you go to the West, you can, because we've always been seeing people moving back, going from my country to richer countries to try, you know, actually to, 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 build, to, to be able to um, 
build a life for themselves that they were not able to build back home, economically speaking. So I always took it for granted that, yeah, of course, you go to the West and you're able to get something done. But it never occurred to me, but I never, but I, I never sat there and tried to think about what is it, what, how come if somebody, me, the same person, I go from here to there, I succeed. I never wondered why. I just was okay with, you go there, you can make it. But why? So when I started thinking about why, I started being fed all the typical answers. And all the typical answers have always been, oh, it's because you guys, are, you know, we've been colonized before. You know, me and my friends, when we talk, it's been like, yeah, because, you know, these bad, you know, um, Westerners, they, they came and they really ripped us off. And uh, yeah, they got a head start on us. Um, others would say, all of, some of my friends would think, well, it's because, you know, there's no, we don't have enough education. We're not educated enough. Um, some of my other friends would be just like, well, you know, I guess there's something wrong. I mean, some would go as far as say, I guess there's something wrong with us. We, we can't have our act together. I've heard it all from my own friends, my own, you know, like network and also from the outside world. And I guess from the longest, for the longest time, I also took one or two or different variations of those answers for granted. I didn't go deeper because everything surrounding me, you know, if I watch a Hollywood movie, that seemed to want to deal with this issue. It was also their answers about why my country were where, 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 where it was and not the other way around. Others would say, oh, it's all of these wars and everything. Yeah, so anyway, I get all of these answers as to why we were. were. Some people even, oh, it's because, uh, malnutri- because of malnutrition. I get it all. So for the longest time, I think I just, you know, yeah, yeah. One or a combination of any of these answers. And then... Um, then when I started my business, <laughs> that's when something started to pop that I'm like, wait a second, <laughs> what? you know, all of a sudden I'm like, wait a second, how come over here I'm able to start an LLC in 20 minutes, you know, depending on how fast I type online and over there it's taking me days. Um, it, seriously, in some of these African countries, it can take you up to a year of your time and up to a year of your salary to get to start a business, local salaries. I was like, okay, that's interesting. And even still, it was not registering. But then the problem is at every level of business, I was seeing these discrepancies between how easy it was to get things done over here and how hard it was to get done, things done over there. That was weird. But even then, it didn't, it didn't hit me yet because I just thought, oh, maybe it's just my country that's like that. You know, we just happened to be this way. I didn't know it was pervasive. I didn't know that this wealthy country I was comparing it to, which is America, was not an anomaly in the fact that doing business here was so much easier. And I didn't know that this country over here in Senegal was an anomaly in the fact that it is so hard to do business there. You see, yeah. the pattern had not built yet. So as I started looking, uh, at some point I got interested even, I even went all the way to Rwanda to kind of see maybe if uh, it would be easier maybe for me to do business there than in my own country in Senegal. And back then, Paul Kagame had not started making the reforms he had started doing then that are, you know, where Rwanda is getting better and better on the doing business. So not only do I go there, I'm still seeing some issues there, but not as much as in mine, but... As I start talking to the other ones, to the other people from other African nations, I'm starting to hear that actually it's not only in Senegal, it's everywhere. 
my Congolese friends are over complaining. They're like, if you think you've got it hard, do you know how much, what it takes to import anything here, even a pen? 18 pieces of document that have to not be notarized each, and each of those uh, notary signatures costing a few hundred dollars. It was like, what? So then you're comparing, and then all of a sudden people, you know, now you want to talk about this? You're hearing the people, others trying to do business, talking about this. So all of a sudden I'm like, oh, you mean this is not an isolated case? Oh, okay, no, it's not. So let me look on the other side. If they're isolated in being, you know, so then I started. That's when I started to look. When I tell you I started looking places I, I never thought about looking in before. But I'm like, wait a second. Okay, so it's interesting. Let me see if I can find um, um, other rich countries, you know, whether it's Australia, New Zealand, whatever, and try to see do they have, do they offer kind of more or less the same thing that America offers business-wise. And in doing all of that re work and research, I stumbled upon a couple indexes, one of them being the Doing Business Index Ranking. I didn't even know something was measuring these things. I had a little bit of help in finding those, though, you know, with uh, somebody yeah. I live with. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then there's this other index, the Fraser uh, Economic um, Freedom Index. And in a way, now all of a sudden, in front of me, I had in numbers the very things that I've been living and that I have been discovering by just talking to others, looking at my own case. And then what did I see? I saw that the strong correlation between the fact that um, in these countries that are poor, they all seem to have in common the fact that it's near impossible for their entrepreneurs, could be and would be entrepreneurs, to uh, start a legal business. Because don't take me wrong, there are a lot of businesses in my country. But do you know that in Senegal, at least, more than 90% of all businesses are in the informal sector? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that doesn't surprise me. And, and I, and I, but I still wonder why, you know, what's the, what starts a culture where entrepreneurship and business and, and your right to sort of uh, make a living for yourself? Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, those feel like, universal values. I mean, we have this phrase in the United States that, mm -hmm. that America is an idea and mm -hmm. we, we argue back and forth mm -hmm. and, you know, some, some conservatives are offended by that because, you know, we, we think, we think that, that we're somehow special, but, you know, everything your grandmother taught you, mm. um, you know, sort of sounds like a founding father, like, you know, mm -hmm. you know, Believe in yourself. Mm -hmm. Get your act together. Mm -hmm. If you don't do it, nobody's going to do it mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. And to me, those are—I I would call those American values. Mm -hmm. But I also think they're human values. Like yeah. I, I think I think that's inside of everybody. So, so I wonder why it is that that these these bureaucracies and these pathways of, of just stifling human productivity mm -hmm. emerge in the first place. Mm -hmm. And and maybe you don't have an answer for that, but. You've, you focus very much on how do we tear those down. Yeah. Um, I don't know how it got started for necessarily other countries, but I can tell you that for a lot of African nations, especially Francophone African nations, because if you look at African uh, Francophone uh, African countries and you compare them to Anglophone African countries, you will see that actually the African Anglophone, the, um, the Anglophone countries are doing much better than the Francophone countries. Why? Uh, because, so my country was a French colony yeah. uh, until uh, when it got its independence. By the way, I love blaming the French. It's just... It's well, in this case, well, they deserve it. Yeah. They deserve yeah. it. 
I can say whatever I want about the French. I happen to be French as well. I'm just kidding. Yeah. It's true. I am. <laughs> but um, they deserve it. I, I am all about facts because so what happened in my particular country is we've been colonized by France before that was pure slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, we were on our own and doing our own thing. But anyway, so slavery, colonialism, and then independence. And I say independence because it's still to be debated how much independence we still have. Um, so we got our independence. and But the problem is most of our constitution has been copied on and modeled after the French constitution. Nobody ever thought about looking into it. Would you flip if I told you that, for example, okay, let me tell you this crazy stuff. In Senegal, when you want to have an employee of any kind in any industry, every single industry has a convention with the state. So if I'm going to hire somebody, or I should say any, any, um, any type of industry and also um, uh, line of work has a convention like per industry within line of work. So let's say... I'm going to hire somebody to be a salesperson. So they're going to call that, they're going to first look, I'm sorry, they're going to look at first which industry you're evolving in. Are you a manufacturing? Are you pure commerce? Are you this? Are you that? Let's take the commerce one. If they decide that you're, you belong to the commerce one because you're, you're, even if you're manufacturing, you're still selling and buying and selling. So the commerce one, uh, there's a convention of commerce with the state of Senegal. What does that mean? It means that if Magat, being in a in the commerce industry, wants to hire Matt as her um, sales rep, and she needs to be very careful, is she going to call him sales rep, or is she going to call him account manager, or is she going to call him sales manager? Because based on the title I even give you, there is a there is a price, there basically a. a um, a minimum, the minimum wage that goes with that is going to be different from if I had called you an account manager or a sales director or maybe an accounting cl- or an account clerk. So you're like supporting the account, ma- the account manager there. There is a, you belong somewhere. And then, oh, Matt happens to have a PhD in physics. He doesn't need it here at all, but he has a PhD in physics or he has a PhD in English. Mind you, we don't need English here. We don't whatever. Oh, but he's got a PhD. He's got a PhD. So the price, it goes way, all the way up. And every industry has a convention with the state like that. So you see all of a sudden how it is impossible for you and you, you and I, Matt, to say, hey, your education has nothing to do with what, I, what we need here, but you happen to be free and you need a job. You're sitting home doing nothing. Uh, we, I want to get into contract with you. We can't. And guess what? And then my friend asks, who came up with this? What is this? Would you flip if I told you that this convention is dated from 1957, even before the independence? Isn't that insane? So when you ask me where did it all start for us, I think we, we really got uh, started on these really these policies that make no sense from the French ways of doing things. Yeah. And as we all know, economically speaking, it's not really the best way. And so what happens is um, we were then left with, uh, after the independence, um, we were left with um, this mentality of uh, this, the welfare state that is so prevalent in France. Yet our countries have not really built up. And so we got ourselves into the situation where, okay, we're 
we're very much at the end of, um, you know, the colonialism. They left behind more or less socialist philosophies and ideologies, all the way to a president that even, doesn't even believe in maths and physics. He, our president didn't believe in stamps. It was all about literature and all of that good stuff, you know, French and huh, okay. So um, that's what we were left with and the mentality of a welfare state in a way. And so, of course, this is not going to get anywhere. It's not going to get us anywhere. So we keep going down and down and down, economically speaking. In the meantime, the rest of the world is looking at this and being like, we need to send them aid money, so foreign aid. So between having this uh, very kind of um, more or less socialist uh, the first president was socialist, was by the way. So we're being ran by socialist ideas that are really not pro-business. We're not making it. We're being sent foreign aid. So you see how we're getting squeezed. You see how all of these values we're talking about kind yeah. of get squeezed out. Yeah, the sense that the sense that I mean, it, if if not outright socialist, um, a, a real sense of central planning yes. where where smart people have to design the categories and protect people from being exploited. Mm-hmm. And, and all of those traditions and of and of course the you know the the tradition of the Scottish Enlightenment and the English common law would be fundamentally different it would mm-hmm. be uh, believing in the in the wisdom of crowds like you could actually work through that with your employees and find find some sort of arrangement that would be mutually advantageous um, but but you talked about something that that I know you're very passionate about um, I am and it drives me crazy I I, I I call it the poverty industrial complex. Um, you were in a movie called Poverty Inc., mm-hmm. which is another way to do it. But, mm-hmm. but all of these these NGOs, uh, billions and billions of dollars being spent to to quote unquote help developing countries. Mm-hmm. Um, does it work? Of course, it doesn't work. Unfortunately, it doesn't work. Um, so you remember the, where we ended up, what I was trying to tell you earlier, where we're left, we become independent, we're left with socialist, um, a socialist president, with socialist philosophies and values, but not so pro-business. We're not doing so well. Foreign aid comes in. We keep going. And in the process, what's happening, not only are we not doing better, economically speaking, but on top of that now, we have leaders that are now addicted to this foreign aid coming, which they use to kind of line their pockets. So various various leaders in Africa do, do it at, uh, at various levels, but it's in a way everywhere. So, and at the same time, while that's all happening, you have this industrial, this, um, this, complex, this complex that's being built around aid uh, and, uh, you know, the aid industry. So... Which is big business. It's big business. It's, it's a lot of money, Matt. A lot of money. Um, anybody wants to see how, how crazy this is, just, again, go back to Poverty, Inc. Um, of course it doesn't work. And I've always wanted to say, to, to me, it's just, it's just put two and two together. These type of industries, this is a typical industry where basically... Doing your job properly, if you do your job properly, you kick yourself out of work. How really was it intended to work? So just even that simple fact that if you do your job right, supposedly, you no longer have a job. So um, does it work? No, it doesn't work. Because last time I checked, um, it's just not sustainable. It, it is not sustainable. You just, just You don't just provide people with... 
I, I don't know in which world everything that you need, I come and provide it to you for free. Is it that you ever, where is this sustainable? I like to say that even if Bill Gates wanted to sit there and kind of donate his money all he wants and never actually has time to go produce anything, Bill Gates' money could be gone in no time with nothing to show for. And in a way, some of it is happening with where, what it, it yeah, has done. I'm, I mean, it, it, at best, you're treating the symptoms of poverty. If uh, and, and Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation is a great example of this. Um, they've had all these programs over the years focused on vaccinating children from from disease and 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 feeding children. Um, but the the question is, how do you how do you get past this constant state of crisis where where disease is such a thing? And and that's that's where your whole your yeah. your whole paradigm comes in. Like yeah. How do, how do we how do we start business? How do we feed ourselves? Yeah. So the whole thing is, see, with Bill Gates, I usually like to cut him a few slacks because, and to everybody out there, saying, someone is right now dying of hunger, someone is right now dying of an illness. Please do not take me wrong. Let's assist that person. I want to make sure that is clear. Mm-hmm. Right now, we have to take care of people who are in immediate danger of getting off else. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. So, yes, we need to take care of that. And that's what I call immediate problems. And they are a little bit everywhere. I get it. But what I have an issue with is when all the help and all the resources available are only devoted to this uh, immediate answer. Where is everyone that's working on the midterm solutions and on the long-term solutions? And what are those midterm solutions and long-term solutions? By, and the long-term solution being basically the ultimate solution where you're really taking it back into sustainability zone. What is that? When Bill Gates, anybody who has to have somebody provide to them a free vaccination is somebody who can't really afford it, isn't it? Somebody who is being malnourished is usually somebody who doesn't have access to proper food. All of these things that the NGOs are bringing to us is because somehow we have not managed to provide them for ourselves. Who can provide for themselves? You can't provide for it because you don't have the money for it. You don't have money because you don't have an income. You don't have an income where does an income come from? Big, an income comes from a um, job. A job for most of us. Yeah. And where do jobs come from? Business. Thank you. So, if jobs. I cheated. Come... I studied before this <laughs> quiz. You got a good grade. So, if jobs come from businesses, then don't you think that we should look at the business climate of all of these countries, at the business climate of these places? And then, sure enough, when you look there, we talked about the two indexes, the Doing Business Index and the Fraser Economic Freedom Index, measuring how hard it is for um, someone to start a business anywhere in these African countries. And we have found that it's nearly impossible. And compare that to Scandinavian countries. So something funny happened to me the other day. Because for the past few years, I've been telling the entire world, do you know that it's harder to do business anywhere in Sub-Saharan Africa than it is anywhere in, in Scandinavia? Because, you know... My friends, even my most socialist friends, love to take Scandinavia as a model of, you know, at least we're taking care of people and everything, and it's not like crazy laissez-faire. 
But I said, do you know that these countries are more capitalist than mine? And so when I say things, and I say, when, even when I say it's harder, to, it's harder to do business in my country than it is in those places, they look at me and they have this gaze in their eyes because it still means nothing. And it only recently came to me that as I was talking to them about the need for some of these regulations to be killed, some of them to be made more, um, you know, to, to, to be eased on. And it came to me that every time I was saying we need less regulations in Africa, it's one of the most overregulated countries, um, I'm sorry, region in the world. It seems to me I finally understood from her that she was always hearing, oh, every time I hear you say we need less regulation. That I'm all I was hearing you say is, "I you're asking for less affair, and I don't want less affair. I don't think it's dangerous." And I said, "No, no, 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 no. Let me then walk you through what it means." I said, "Do you think it's right that anytime I need to bring something in my country to even just make a product that I have to pay forty five percent?" And then she would be like, "What do you mean?" And I would explain, and then I'm, I explained to her even the thing with the job stuff, tariffs. Yeah, yeah. Even with uh, even with the uh, labor the labor laws, she was like, "What?" And so I said, you know that none of that goes on in these Scandinavian countries that you have so much as a role model. And she said, no. And I said, in the end, all I'm asking for right now is can you even give me the same level of freedom as they have? And she's like, you never said it that way. I'm like, what are you hearing then? You see, so what I'm hearing, what I'm learning here is that it's very important um, how you talk to people. And this goes back to your question when you're saying what needs to be done so that uh, people can build these businesses, especially when if business is the one that provides the jobs that people need in in order to no longer have to need all of these things that you have now to give them for free because they can't afford it, then um, it is, I think, important that people understand that the business climate is the problem. The, pro- the reason why I'm not poor is not because I don't have enough education. The reason why I'm not, I'm, I'm poor, I'm sorry. The reason why I'm poor is not because I'm malnourished necessarily. It's not because I, um, I, uh, some people even think we have low IQ, but black people, Africans have low IQ. It hurts me to no end, but some people literally sincerely and honestly think that. So people are coming up with all types of silly reasons as to why we're poor, and in conjunction, all with, of which are hor- horribly patronizing. It really is. It really is. And um, and I think this is another thing that most of the world doesn't understand too. When, as a group of people, you have been, you know, categorized in a certain way for so long. I have to say that some of us have come to believe that there is something really sincerely indeed wrong with them. Um, others can look at you with a straight face, thinking that you bunch of... I was giving a talk at a school, and I will preserve them because they've been really good to me, one of the Ivy League schools. And one of the students, after I made this type of presentation, in so many words, basically, her, her case was, well... In a way, without all of this intervention, Africans would still be hacking each other. Wow. Yeah. In so many words, that's pretty much what was coming up. And this gal, young gal, in a very, in a, supposedly in a mecca of knowledge, this is what she felt. Well, it's that, it's that I mean, not to go all Austrian on you, but it's what Hayek called that, that pretense, that, that arrogance yes. that, that planners yes. have. Yes. Because they they don't 
think. Yes. They, yes. Don't, they yes. don't think you're capable. Exactly. Yeah. And it was very interesting for me. And I had a field day with it, <laughs> bringing all of this to her in terms of, no, I'm going to tell you why. Why actually? Did, my did you do this publicly? Because I'm already feeling bad for her. Well, it ended up with basically her crying and saying that she didn't feel safe. And I'm like, really? You just insulted me. Yeah. And I'm I'm not even allowed to say what I have to say on this. Eventually, it turned out very well because the other students were just like, you know, I mean, really. So, um, <laughs> it it worked out. We 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 kind of got somewhere with that one. Yeah. Um, but you know, a part of me. But I think that I think that that attitude is probably pervasive it is yeah. and at least her she said it yeah how many people don't say it right how many people don't say it or when they say it, it always comes from um this place of almost as oh but we have to cut you slacks because so much happened to you guys it's the other way in which it comes you know like when you never want to address the real problems because you're yeah i'm not even going to go there because it's too comp it's um it really it really makes me not too happy. But in this case, it was important for me to be able to walk her through. And I even finished with, if you were born in one of these countries, you, I can guarantee you that you would probably be right now the daughter of somebody maybe who is just selling things in the street. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that probably would be uh, your outlook in life with maybe not being able to go to school because your parents don't have the money to send you to school. I am telling you right now, there's nothing better about you than any of these people. And there's nothing worse about them than you. The, your biggest luck, the draw of luck you had was to be born in a country that gave enough economic freedom to its people to do and to create all the wealth they've created. That's the only difference right now. You won the lottery when it comes to that aspect of life. Yeah, the, the institutions yes. that allows yes. free people to yes. succeed. Yes, and because, and because we, don't, we should not be about you winning the lottery as to where you're born in a country that has the right institutions or not, it should not be about that. So you want to talk about justice you want to talk to me about social justice you want to talk to me about human rights how about we make that a human right to make it to level the playing field for everybody but it no longer should be about a matter of you being lucky enough to be born here or to be born there you want to talk about equality about justice that's the justice i want to talk about you want to talk about inequality that's the type of inequality i want to talk about and nothing else so if i'm if i'm going to rescue um students at elite universities in the United States, I'm going to send you in to do that. But because because I think that might almost be impossible to convince them. But but I don't think we need to because your audience mm -hmm. and we, we've talked about this mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. uh, your audience is is Africans mm -hmm. who are hungry mm -hmm. for an alternative mm -hmm. Africans who are migrating and, mm -hmm. and dying along the way mm -hmm. to get out of mm -hmm. these countries. Mm -hmm. How do you convince your countrymen to change so i have been i've been doing two levels of work one work is behind the scene working as much as i can on policy reforms uh directly and then i think now the time has come and also i've been working on uh raising awareness with my fellow senegalese young and, and old um but now the time has come for me to try and um make the message go farther reach further 
shores. I have to tell you that it is so liberating. It is so liberating. It's, it's almost like a message that my people needed to hear. It is so liberating to know that in the end, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with your seed, your particular seed, but it's about the pot that you get were given. And oftentimes it's uh, that part was really not your fault. So I think it's, it's liberating and because it's liberating, it's so empowering. So the nice thing about this message and what I've discovered is that it is something that my people are so ready to welcome. Because some of them So have, it's empowering because they've been told all their lives that they can't do anything about it, that it's somehow yeah, their fault. Yeah, and the solutions that were being offered, even though some of them feel like they have no choice but to take it, you have no choice but to take the free food. You have no choice but to take the free shoes. You have no choice but to take, but to ha- to rely on these doctors uh, coming, médecins sans frontières, you know, coming from everywhere and coming and, you know, giving all of us shots and um, giving us, you know, dental care everywhere. All of these things, you have no choice but to take it, but it doesn't feel good. So now all of a sudden I'm coming and I'm saying to you, dude, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with us. And we know how to fix this. <laughs> yeah. And we know how to fix this. And then when, you, when we do this, so I, I think it's, so yes, it is liberating. It is empowering. And, and uh, it just, it's one of those messages that, by the time it comes to the right person, it's something. See, unlike the people who have to rely on the aid industry, this is our salvation, really, truly, what I'm talking about. Yeah. So by the time you get there, it's almost like somebody who's been wanting for someone to say something like that without knowing what they wanted exactly to be said. But this makes sense. And also what is nice in my case, in this case, is also I tied back to really, truly who we, are, we were. To be socialist is not to be, is not to be African. I'm saying it right now. We Africans are traditionally believers in free markets. Yes, we are the people of Ubuntu. I am because we are. That's right. Yes. The fact that we provide each other, each other, we provide each other welfare. The welfare doesn't have to come from the state. We take care of each other. That's what Ubuntu means. So we've got that covered. Thank you very much. From our traditional roots. But on the other hand, we have free markets in every village of Africa, everywhere you have a market that meets at least once a week. What do you think people do there? Don't they exchange freely? Come on, dude. So to me, this is just, this is who we are. So to be African is to be free markets. That's us. You want to go back to your roots? That's our roots. So socialism... And all of that Marxism crap is actually what has been imported. That's not us. And because I'm proudly African, it's very important for me that I am looking into things that are authentically mine. I like that in every solution that I find, that I see some of my authentic roots and truths in there. And it was so wonderful to see. That's why I had to dig deep. And the work of George Ayite, Ghanaian economist, helped me a lot because he went and he's the one who kind of saw all of that. The fact that back in the days from, from, from ever, I've seen it, of course, don't take me wrong, but he did the research to prove it. Us Africans, I will repeat it because it sounds so good. Us Africans on our own are believers in free market. And at the same time, we are, we are 
the amazing um, philosophers around Ubuntu, this idea where we are because you, I am because we are, and we provide social welfare and safe, safety net to each other. And I think those two are important. So it's not about just being like a greedy um, capitalist, but it's about we trade freely and we also take care of one another. And we don't need to wait for somebody to do it. And, and um, they told us, oh, um, even today, everybody has their issues. Someone like me, I oftentimes have my issue with uh, this idea of winner-take-all winner democracy. And you see where winner-take-all democracy takes us. You get to a, to a place where half of the country does not want who they're being ruled by. And yeah, you can say it's democracy, but people are not accepting it. They're not accepting it. So they're spending all of their time fighting each other until their guy or their gal goes, becomes the new president. And then the fights are reversed, you know? I have an issue with this. I'm obviously not for, you know, being a dictator or anything like that. God, no. But what we had back home was very, back in the days was very different from what we have now. Remember voice and exit? In my mind, if you don't have exit, if you don't have an exit option, you are not free. So what did we have back in the days? All of these different tribes, and there's a chief with this community has its rules or whatever. You want to be part of it? Great. You, you're not happy with it? You get the heck out. And you don't have to wait every four years to vote. You don't have to wait every five years to vote or every seven years to vote. Every single moment of your life to get to vote. And the way you vote is like, I'm out of here. Bye. You go join another one or you go start your own. That's what we had. And... There's something that I've been really studying recently, which is this idea of, crit of critarchy. The best way to start looking into it is about um, um, the law of the Somalis. When people think of Somalia, they think there's no, there's no law. But actually, Somalia, traditional Somalia, had found a way to be without the legislature, legislators. Imagine... A place sounds like utopia. A place where you have no courts. The courts only come together when there is something to judge. After that, everybody goes back to their lives. You, Terry, me, we are probably some of the judges that are allowed to be when needed. So when we have something to judge, we come on and we put our little judge thing on. And we judge the thing, the case, when it's over, we go back, you, you're back to being a farmer, you're back to being a beer maker, whatever it is that you are, you go in there. And the way, it's, it's too complicated for me to, to explain here, I'm, I'm just working out, there are a few uh, issues that I need to work out on that thing, but I'm very excited about going back to that type of model. Next part of my research is going to be to see how... Every, how much was it everywhere else? So I'm going to go back to my own country and see, is it something that we have been doing way back, back when? And um, if I find enough evidence, and if I'm able to fix one of the issues that I have found in the Kritarki as it was practiced in Somaliland, then this is something that I'm just like, hey, how about Africans have a far more superior, you know, way of organizing themselves this reminds this, re this reminds me of the conversation more we, we're working together for a day in in guatemala at the mm -hmm. antigua forum put mm -hmm. on by university francisco marroquin and mm -hmm. your question to the group was how do we turn africa into wakanda yes and uh i, I just rewatched the movie in, mm -hmm. in in preparation for for the oscars and mm -hmm. and it's 
it I would love for you to present that at Davos when you when you say that it's that it's trade, it's enterprise, it's self-reliance and it's hard work. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't think they talk that much about that stuff at Davos. And that's the problem. So it goes back to when you were saying what can be done. Um, but, you know, uh, Matt, one thing I have found is how can anybody bring a proper solution? And the key here is on proper and also solution, I guess. Yeah. Unless they're being lucky, because luck can happen anytime, how can you bring a proper solution to an issue that you've misdiagnosed? And that has that is what has been going on with us. Sometimes I don't know if a misdiagnosis is voluntary. Sometimes I don't know if it's just pure, pure ignorance or but I have a hard time believing that at some levels some people are that clueless. They're not. So I don't really know what has what is causing us to be where we are, but at the end of the day today, I go into colleges. These are Ivy League colleges. Some, even when they're not Ivy Leagues, are very reputable colleges. I talk to people who are supposed to work on this issue of poverty. I talk to people who care about this issue of poverty. And I ask them about this very simple question, why do you know do you know why we're poor? And almost never does anybody go to this issue of the business climate in these countries. Almost no one ever. And so, it's puzzling. So I'm going to ask your permission. Can, can I bring these guys to your country to help you tell that story? Yes. Any... They didn't even know they were going until <laughs> just now. Any help we can have. And that's, and I think when you guys come there, this is also my other hope that I have. Because in, in, bringing, in bringing more and more of this message to, my, to people back home, I think what it's going to do, because I am a little bit worried right now. I think in countries like this, and we know what countries like this can bring. Anybody who sits there and says, oh, the American dream, whatever, whatever. I know what this country has brought to me. I've had my issues with this country, like I have my issues with any place, but I've also had my, 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 my joys with this country. Um, this country provides a lot to people, an awful lot. And I would not want to see that go away. And I get very worried when I see people, especially our future, which is our youth, starting to be like, oh, well, you know, all the misconceptions. Sometimes I, I don't even want to go with on that on camera because it's better talked about 101 with this. And I see these young people every day. And when we have time and a chance to speak to each other and have an hour lecture to talk, we make it to a common ground. So... Sometimes the cameras are not the best. There, there's, there's language barriers. Exactly. Like we're, we're speak, even exactly. though we're all speaking English, exactly. they're hearing something exactly. else. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, the, the good news is, though. Yeah. And my, the reason why I'm such an optimist, I'm worried, but I'm also an optimist, is because at the end of the day, at least these young people I see out, outside here, they care. They really do. Yeah. And they're not entrenched. They're willing to change their minds. And that's what's so beautiful. So that's why I'm always careful criticizing them, um, you know, on camera or whatever, because at the end of the day, the, the, the work has to happen one on one 
face to face. We're going to talk about this and you're going to push back and I'm going to push back and we're going to see where we seem to disagree and we're going to kind of clarify our places and you're going to enrich me. I'm going to enrich you. And what we're going to come up with is going to be better than what we each started out with. That's what I believe in. So they are there. So as we go to Africa and I'm talking to my people back home, to the young people back home, and I'm seeing how they get excited about this is so cool. Uh, where do we start? When do we start? What do we do? Some of them being like, we should just go talk to the president. I mean, it's so funny. That's just really how it is, right? And so as they are having this excitement around it, I think it's also going to be a little bit contagious for people back here. And so I feel like once again, I've always said it, once again, us Africans are going to come back to the rescue. Well, you're going to save us because That's what I mean. I'm going to point to you guys in a couple of years when I'm trying to explain what this whole market thing is. Um, I'm going to end it there. I, I really wish you had some passion for this subject because <laughs> because it might come through if you did. But thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank this, you. this was awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Kibbe on Liberty. Make sure to subscribe and rate our podcast so we can reach even more people with our mostly honest conversations with mostly interesting people.